Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, uh, this is impeachment day. We're coming from you. I've taken a quick break from our uh, ongoing coverage because they've just uh, had the vote on the rule. We're moving forward. Uh, we expect to have a bipartisan vote to impeach Donald Trump a second time. A second time. By the way, I think on this podcast, there was a prediction made that Trump could become the uh, first president ever to be impeached twice. And I don't think any of us anticipated it would happen like this. Uh, but Not I believe in one he, term either, yeah. But, but, but I believe if you go back and you look at the records, maybe we can have Trevor, uh, Trevor pull yeah, that. I'm you sure get credit for this one. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think it was me that actually said that. But, but you know, um, uh, this, is a, this is a big day. Liz Cheney's uh, statement overnight was uh, not just significant because she said she'd be voting for impeachment, but it was significant because of what she said. She said that it was the president, it was Donald Trump, uh, that incited that mob. It was Donald Trump uh, who caused that to happen, the riot, the insurrection, the attack on the Capitol. Uh, she said without him, none of it would have happened. None of it would have happened without him. And she said that this was the biggest betrayal of uh, the office of the presidency and uh, of the Constitution by any president in American history. Those are strong words. We're going to be talking very shortly to a Republican who uh, has now come out to say that he will vote in favor of impeachment in the House. I think it's notable, and, and perhaps while some of you are, will listen to this podcast, will already know the final vote, but it's not going to be a large number of Republicans in the House, even after Liz Cheney, the number three Republican in leadership, came out with such a forceful uh, statement. I, I, you know, the, the, the number, the overwhelming majority of Republicans are still opposed to impeachment in the House. That's correct. And if you're listening to the debate, you're hearing not a lot of defense of President Trump's conduct, although there are some folks like Congressman Jordan of Ohio who are still uh, trying to relitigate the, the election results. Uh, mostly you're hearing um, calls for unity, uh, suggestions that it would be divisive, as the president also said, um, and uh, and a lot of trust in the the system holding and the precedents that are being set at this moment. And you see, almost nobody actually defending the president uh, publicly. Some are criticizing the idea of a fast impeachment, saying that he's going to be leaving in in a week anyway. What's the point of it all? Uh, but but there's nobody out there either. I mean, really, in Congress, uh, you know, uh, or, or on cable television, uh, coming out to uh, uh, to defend him. Um, it's um, it's indefensible. The, the actions of the president are indefensible. I uh, understand that Kevin McCarthy uh, spoke to Trump before he took his trip to Texas, before he made his first public appearance uh, since the uh, since the riot. And he told him, look, you need to call Joe Biden. You need to accept the fact that the election is over and you lost. You need to appeal for calm. And <clears throat> you need uh, to turn the page from all of this. You need to acknowledge that you bore some responsibility for what happened. That was the message that Kevin McCarthy gave him. And I am told that McCarthy told him that if he did not do that, um, he risked a, a, a choice of either being not just impeached but convicted in the Senate uh, or resigning, that those would be his choices. And Trump went out, went on the trip, and proceeded to say that he had done absolutely nothing wrong, uh, 
Uh, he certainly hasn't, um, you know, gone out and he hasn't called Biden or, or done any of that. Uh, he hasn't acknowledged he lost. And uh, he, did, he did make an appeal for calm and for peace, but in, in the very same comments, uh, he also suggested that there could be more violence if Congress goes yeah. forward with impeachment. And John, I know our guest is joining us right off the House floor during these busy days, so let's let's get to him. Okay, we have Adam Kinzinger, Republican of Illinois. Uh, Congressman, thank you for joining us. Hey, what's up? Thank you. Well, big day. I I, I uh, take a note of the fact that you um, uh, are you've said you will vote for impeachment, one of just a handful. I think right now we're at five. I assume that number will get a little bit bigger. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I'm just I'm just. Can you explain to me? I see Liz Cheney come out. I, I mean, obviously, you've said some very strong words about what happened uh, on on Wednesday in the Capitol. And Liz Cheney, uh, number three in leadership, comes out and says that this is the, the most severe betrayal of the oath of office of any president in American history, uh, says that none of what we saw on Wednesday would have happened if it weren't for Trump. And yet, we're still going to see the overwhelming majority of Republicans vote against impeachment. Can you, in the House anyway, can you explain why? Yeah, I mean, I think bottom line is it's, for a lot of people, it's fear. It's, uh, you know, some are, are fearful because they're in, in, you know, in some way connected to this, right? Some of them have made speeches and statements challenging whether the election was real. And, you know, over four years kind of building this base narrative that led to what we saw in the sixth that, you know, an outrageous claim like, despite the evidence, this election was stolen, uh, actually makes sense when you can build a foundation for four years. For others, it's, you know, still this idea. I mean, look, there will be massive blowback from the base, trust me, for, for those of us that vote for it. But I think it's that fear that that is, you know, the only group of people you have to speak to, the fact, the fear that this uh, Trump movement will continue. And uh, I just, I try to tell these folks like, look, you know what, those fears may be correct. But the biggest fear I think you should have is that history is obviously going to write a lot of pages about what happens here and what's happened really over the last four years. You know, you want to have your name on that right side of that historical page. Um, and that would be my biggest fear is to be left out because I didn't do what I knew to be the right thing. Did you write your political obituary with what you have done over the course of not just the past several days, uh, but really over the past several weeks where you've taken on this, uh, you've taken the president on directly on this question of, of the election being stolen. Are you, are, are, are you now going to face a, a primary and, uh, and the wrath of the base that, that will cause you to lose your seat? So I think I'll definitely face, you know, a primary and, and the wrath of, of some, you know, of, of Donald Trump's hardcore base that will continue to exist. But I, I still believe that uh, once he's out of office, once, you know, we, we can evaluate this whole presidency outside of, you know, him having the megaphone of Twitter and the ability to say fake news and the ability to, to I don't know, have that kind of aura of the presidency. I, I think the Trump thing falls apart faster, especially after the six, uh, than anybody expects. That said, um, I very well may have, and honestly, uh, I've made a lot of decisions in my life that I thought, you know, would have high cost. And, uh, and, and I'm fine with it. I, I'm fine with uh, if this is the end of my political career. I hope it's not, but I am totally at peace if it is. 
Congressman, I was struck by something that um, I know your, your friend, the former Congressman Denver Riggleman, uh, was, was arguing yesterday. He said he would also have been a, a vote for impeachment. And he was casting it not just a judgment on Trump and on the Trump era, but also on QAnon, on misinformation, on lying in politics. He's viewing this as bigger, uh, the stakes being bigger than just removing Trump from office, which is going to happen to the week anyway. We know the Senate can't really practically convict before that. Are you seeing similar stakes in, in the vote that you're about to cast? Yeah, I mean, I think I think completely uh, Denver's head on. I, a year ago, I did a video called Unplug the Rage Machine, and it was talking about conspiracy theories. And, and I mentioned QAnon, and that was before anybody – I mean, think about it. A year and a half ago, nobody knew what QAnon was. That's crazy. Um, but what you see is on this internet you know, culture, basically, this spreading and solidifying of these ideas – and uh, and since then, we've kind of woken up to it. And I fear that we might have woken up a little too late. But I think misinformation, truth telling is going to be important to disinfect that people waking up to misinformation is going to be important. And I also think we have to evaluate, you know, this culture where we have to raise so much money to win again. And fear, honestly, is the greatest driving of fu- driver of fundraisers. I'll make more money if I send something out saying, give me money or Nancy Pelosi is going to destroy America than I would saying – I believe in better days ahead, give me money. And that's all the stuff that we're going to have to reevaluate. It's not going to be some kumbaya moment on the floor. It's going to be some awakening by the American people to hold their leaders accountable to their rhetoric. And to to that point and to the the leaders that you're talking about, you've got colleagues who are continuing today to say that the the election was unconstitutional, uh, inappropriate. Um, No one's really defending the the rioters' actions, but you, you do have colleagues who are uh, continuing to spread misinformation about the election, defend the president. Uh, and regardless of the impeachment vote, I know that this is a tough vote for, for a lot of Republicans. You know, Leaving that aside, you, I've talked to some Democrats who are afraid to be around some of the Republicans, uh, especially some of the newly elected Republicans, some of whom uh, burst past the, the, the metal detectors last night and have said that they would be armed on the floor. Is, is that overblown? I mean, are you personally afraid of your own safety on the House floor? No. And I think I, I do think, look, I, I'm not going to question whether some people feel unsafe, but I do think some of that is dramatics and, and, and overblown. But, you know, because, look, I mean, we can go into the White House as an example without going through metal detectors. We always have been able to. Um, but, you know, look, there's always inherent risk everywhere. I'm not going to complain about the metal detector issue. But what I will say is um, I think we all have to and I don't know how to do this, but you know, the best way to dissuade each other's fear is to get to know each other and to understand what the other person's fear is. But one of the biggest problems my party, and I think the Democrats face this to an extent too, but that we face is everybody, not everybody, we have these people now that want to get elected for the sole purpose of being well-known and celebrities. And we've turned into, let's get the most retweets possible so that we can get mentioned on all the news stations, even if it's crazy so that I can be well-known. And we've got to get back to where people can come out. It's not about being well-known or doing media, but coming out here to, to seriously legislate and stop trying to stoke fears for fame. What's your assessment of how Kevin McCarthy has handled this? Uh, you know, I, I think that's a family meeting that uh, we're going to have to have when we kind of get past this this current moment. Look, I, I have real concerns, for instance, with 
uh, how we have nurtured and, and accepted the narrative of a stolen election. I have extreme concerns with how there were votes to object even after the riots of January 6th. I, I think, you know, Kevin's going to have to, I think, talk to the uh, conference and and I think go after some of these members that stoked it. And so we'll see how that goes. I, I think it's too early to talk about anything that will or won't happen and uh, give him an opportunity as the elected leader to 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 make right some of the wrongs. Do, do you see the the possibility of a third party movement growing out of the Trump movement as a as as a probability or even inevitability? I'm just I'm curious because a lot of people have said Republicans like yourself should leave the party. I, I, I don't know if that's what what sparks sparks it as much as some of the folks, you know, those at the Capitol aside, people that believe still that this election was stolen will take Trumpism that far, that they're going to take their movement and go somewhere else. And do, do you feel like that's likely now that we'll see, you know, a MAGA party, a freedom, whatever they call it, a third party movement that grows out of Trumpism? I hope so. Um, I uh, Look, it's, it's uh, the vast majority of people, even at this protest, um, you know, are just good Republicans, many of them misled for four years, right, and believe it. And I think they will wake up. There are going to be some hardcores that there always are out there that for them it was about power. For them it was about being the proud boys and kind of fascism and, and racism. Uh, I do hope they start their own party because I don't think there's any room in a Republican party for them. And, you know, we always try to do this big tent thing and it means bringing all these ideologies, but there is a red line and I think – some of that ideology has got to be a red line. So if they want to start their own party, fantastic. We can, you know, get back to the roots of what conservatism is and what our party is. Um, but if they don't, I think there's going to be a real reckoning in here uh, about what a Republican is. And quite honestly, again, I think that the vast majority of people will kind of like I use the analogy of like it's waking up Saturday morning from a real bad bender Friday night and just kind of looking around and going, man, what did I do? Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, there's certainly a wreckage out there. I mean, I, I remember, you know, I mean, my reaction as, as, as Donald Trump was marching towards the nomination in 2016 was the Republican Party will never be the same again. Um, it, it, mm. it, it's hard to and, and <laughs> I don't know if I could have envisioned it going exactly this way. Um, but um, but but it but it's really something. Um, what, what's your what's your estimate? Uh, what's your guess on how many Republicans vote yes on this? Well, to be more than five, um, I don't want to get in the guessing game because if I guess too high, we go below expectations. Yeah. Um, if I guess too low, then it'll give some people excuse not to do the right thing. I, I think, you know, it'll be in the double digits. I, uh, I, I know there's a lot of people that are trying to find an excuse not to vote for it. They're using process as the argument. I just certainly hope that they, you know, again, recognize that history is going to record this and it's not going to necessarily record your process arguments as your reason for opposition. Yeah, no doubt. And, and is Liz Cheney, I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, obviously, as we discussed, the majority, the vast majority of Republicans are going to vote uh, against this uh, in the House. Do, do, what does this do to Liz Cheney's leadership prospects going forward? Does she ultimately get credit for being forceful, even, you know, for making a forceful case and a principled case, uh, even though it was a case that the vast majority of, of her conference disagreed with, or, uh, or, or does she face the wrath of, of the base? No, I think, I, well, you know, the base argument, who knows, I think in terms of members, I, I don't think her leadership 
isn't threatened. I think her star has risen in this. And because I think, you know, there's very few people that I've talked to after I came out in support that disagree with me. They will just say, I think sometimes sheepishly, well, I'm, I worry about the process. Right. And um, but I think when it's all said and done, I mean, this the, the coalition to impeach and the coalition against, you know, opposition to certification of the election really is made up of hawks like me and Freedom Caucus members and people all over the place. So uh, there's no real uh, kind of clear battle lines in all this. And so I think she'll be safe. And, and, and frankly, I think she'll get a lot of credit for what she's done. All right. Congressman Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, one of the five votes so far to impeach Donald Trump. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate your comments and we'll talk to you uh, when this is all over. Thank you. You bet. Thanks, guys. All right, Rick, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. Rick, uh, Adam Kinzinger, um, as we were just talking during the break, uh, significant, I thought, that uh, he says he actually hopes there'll be a third-party movement if the, if, if the Republican Party can't uh, get beyond this, uh, you know, what, what, what we've seen unfold. Uh, remarkable and, and a very, you know, what a tense day in his in his political career and, and, and in his life to join us uh, on today, this historic day. I, you know, I, I don't know how this ends. Nobody knows how this how, how this how this ends. Uh, I think, though, increasingly, we're seeing schisms that are beyond healing. And um, you know, we've we've both covered Congress, covered Washington for a long time, John. And we talk about things in terms of pitched battles and major political battles. Something changed last week, and something has changed in the last week where uh, actions started to to fill in where words have never really taken us before. And to see violence and to have lawmakers now afraid for their physical safety among their colleagues, but just on their way to to work, uh, nobody knows where. What, what can happen next? We, as more details have come out of about last Wednesday, we now know it could have been a lot worse. And Trump will be gone a week from today. He will, will no longer be president. Uh, but the, the folks who came to the Capitol aren't going anywhere. And you know they're Americans. They have a right to be here. Uh, they should be prosecuted, all that. Uh, the many millions of people that, 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 that voted for him, the many, you know, maybe thousands that supported what, what the people at the, at, the, at the protests did, they're still part of the process and they're not going to go away, uh, and nor should they. And, uh, but they're, these are not simply political divisions anymore. This got very, very real, very, very fast. And uh, you know, I think, uh, to my mind, you know, a third-party movement is, is more likely than not uh, I, I, I don't know what the next instigating event will be in this, but uh, you know, Don, Donald Trump is is going to be gone. He won't be quiet, and his movement certainly won't be. And, and in terms of the immediate here, uh, I, I'm told Nancy Pelosi intends to send the article of impeachment over to the Senate as soon as that as possible. Um, right now, the Senate's actually not in session until next week, so uh, if, if uh, there's there be calls to McConnell to call call them back earlier, so the Senate trial can get underway, as you recall, under the rules. As soon as the Senate uh, receives them, they've got to begin acting on them um, immediately by 1 o'clock in the afternoon of, of whatever day they come in, or 1 o'clock the following day if they come in after 1 o'clock. So, um, you know, the, 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 this, is, this is very much on a fast track. And, and Rick, uh, I, I've been 
told uh, by people who I respect who uh, have been counting votes in the Senate for a long time, Republican votes, uh, to not rule out the possibility that there are 67 votes, which means at least 17 Republicans uh, to convict Donald Trump, um, which is an amazing, an amazing concept. It's all really going to come down uh, to whether or not McConnell goes in the direction that he seems to be telegraphing. Uh, that if McConnell actually, McConnell, who we know, has told colleagues that he believes that Donald Trump committed impeachable offenses, that he welcomes the House impeachment, uh, but he hasn't said if he would vote to convict, uh, which is another question. But if he does, which seems to be the direction he's going in, I think that opens up the real possibility that you have a cascade of, of other, what I would call Senate institutionalists, Republican institutionalists, who are close uh, to, to Mitch McConnell, uh, who you could see uh, come out and also uh, also vote uh, to, to convict. I mean, I'm talking about people like, you know, uh, John Cornyn, uh, Senator Burr, who's not running again anyway, Senator Shelby, Senator Thune, uh, Senator Inhofe, who had a pretty severe break with, uh, with Donald Trump over the defense bill, uh, Senator Portman, Senator Boozman, Cassidy. I mean, I think you're starting to see that there, there are a universe of senators who voted no, and not only voted no, uh, but but made forceful cases against the idea that that, that Congress should somehow overturn uh, the results of the presidential election. Those Republicans who did that—that's your universe, and it's a universe that makes it not inconceivable that that, that you could see a two-thirds majority uh, to to convict Donald Trump, which um, which is just a just a mind-blowing uh, idea. And, and right, politicians are going to do politics, right? I mean, th there's no small degree of, of self-interest in now, a week left in, in the president's term, declaring that, uh, that he, he should go. Uh, a lot of these folks made private judgments a long time ago that they never shared. They had an opportunity, other than Mitt Romney, all to, to vote to, to remove him from office a year ago, and they didn't do, didn't do so. They made a judgment. I, you know, that's, that's part of the equation now. Uh, we heard Congressman Kinzinger a moment ago talk about the judgment of history books. That's a consideration as well. I think another factor, John, in all of this, in the, in the members that I've talked to and the, and the staffers that I've talked to, they witnessed this. This happened to them. They were they were targeted. Uh, people, if look, if Mitch McConnell had come into the the grasps of that mob last week, if Mike Pence had come into the grasps of that mob, they would be dead. I, I have no doubt in my mind that there would be murdered members of Congress, Republicans as well as Democrats. And to my mind, to when the president will continue to deflect and redefine and pretend like that was an okay speech and that he had nothing to do with it. To me, that's extra offensive to members of Congress who saw it and themselves felt threatened by it. And they were confronted finally and absolutely by the a president who was doing reckless things and then in the aftermath lying about it. He's done it a lot. And they stood by for a lot of it and understood where it was for whatever reasons, privately, however they've managed President Trump. But this, at this stage, given where he is and this, where we are at this moment, this was that final straw. And it would not surprise me at all to see this, the, the Senate convict the president uh, of high crimes and misdemeanors, disqualify him from, from, from running again, um, even though that doesn't end his term early. So uh, let me just close with one to watch, and I think maybe one of the most fascinating and maybe the most important in whether or not that outcome happens. And that's uh, Senator Chuck Grassley, 
uh, President Pro Tem of the Senate, longest-serving uh, Republican senator, um, somebody uh, enormously respected by Republican senators, somebody very close to Donald Trump, and who frankly backed Trump on some of the crazier, you know, talk of of, of election fraud, but. He is the president pro tem. He is in the line of succession, and in that role, he was uh, whisked out of the uh, of, of the Senate chamber to uh, to a secure location, um, and and I am told uh, was was severely affected by that by, by that experience. Uh, he was um, horrified not only by what he saw happen uh, to that building he has spent so much time in. Uh, most of his life in between there and the farm out in Iowa, <laughs> that that that's been his existence, uh, you know, driving around all of the 99 counties in Iowa and 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 working in that Capitol building, um, and and he, uh, I am told by 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 someone who spoke to him recently, in the wake of all of that, uh, he was equally horrified um, by Donald Trump's reaction to what happened, his silence uh, as as they were under attack, his refusal. Uh, to come out and unequivocally call on people to stop and to go home. So I would watch Chuck Grassley. If, if Chuck Grassley took that extraordinary step and actually voted to convict, um, I don't think there's any question that there would be at least uh, uh, 17 Republicans uh, who, would, who, would, uh, who would go along with conviction. So we shall see. And John, you know, in, in another world, you know, we'd be talking about the incoming Biden administration and the new agenda of the Democrats who've now taken Congress. And, you know, what a remarkable thing that, you know, Donald Trump, who has been omnipresent for these last five plus years on the national landscape, and certainly through the four years of his presidency, is going to continue to linger into the Biden, into the Biden days. He, he, his presence, even as an ex-president, even without Twitter or Facebook or YouTube, even without any, saying anything publicly, he is going to be a major force that still has to be reckoned with. Literally, re- the reckoning that will occur in in the Senate chamber, um, the, the first hours and days of the Biden presidency will be focused on impeaching President Trump. All right. On that note, Rick, let's get back. It uh, looks like they are just about done with the vote on the rule. We're going to be back to our coverage on television of the debate over impeachment on the House floor. Thank you for listening to Powerhouse Politics. Thank you, Avery Miller, Trevor Hastings, and the Powerhouse Politics team. We will be back next week, or I think there's a real possibility even sooner. <laughs>